0: Good morning, Catherine, and good morning, Misha. Good morning.
1: Good morning.
0: Misha, would you like to introduce yourself since I'm not competent at that? Well, we just met. That's true, so I don't really know you. (laughs) Yes. Hi, I'm Misha Cohen Peck,
2: sometimes called Dr. Peck. I am a local psychotherapist and EMDR therapist. You gave me a funny I didn't know what
0: EMDR stands for.
2: EMDR stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. It's a type of of therapy. Mm. It's used a lot with trauma. It's used a lot. Let me rephrase this. EMDR has to do with bilateral stimulation or dual attention stimuli. So if you think about what happens during REM sleep, rapid eye movement, our eyes are moving back and forth sometimes in slightly different directions. But that movement is accessing a healing process of, a, of the brain. During REM sleep, we're trying to categorize data, trying to understand things that have happened in the world, trying to reconcile our past. That's what REM dreams are about. When we can access that same natural healing process However, a client can be awake, alert, totally aware of what's going on, totally in control, not being hypnotized, not being told what to think. But we can access the healing networks, and there's all sorts of protocols and ways that we Mm -hmm. do that. That's EMDR, Mm -hmm. eye movement desensitization reprocessing. may not be the best name for what it is, but it really describes that process of getting that eye movement, or we can do tactile, Mm -hmm. or we can do audio and access the healing networks of the brain
0: I just heard a podcast you know fairly short three-and-a-half-hour podcast about sleep and they talked a lot about uh, obviously um, rapid eye movement sleep and non rapid eye movement mm-hmm. and how you can access some of those states while you're conscious and yes. they they're trying to do some more research on meditation because that's one way to consciously affect that and they've there's some interesting studies that show that people who are very good at meditating tend to need a lot less sleep, and they're stu- they still haven't made a correlation between whether that's healthy or not, because sleep is apparently very health- a very necessary part of survival.
2: Mm-hmm. Well, there's also a lot of work being done looking at various um, psychoactive, so-called illicit drugs, right. and how do we use these these drugs to access parts of the brain and help people heal and use them in conjunction with psychotherapy and treatments. Mm-hmm. Um, and some some interesting work has been done with with trauma, particularly with you know childhood trauma or uh, post traumatic stress disorder, things like veterans or other uh, survivors. Interesting.
0: Yeah, there, there's a whole part of our strange relationship with drugs in this country that has taken a lot of the what look to be very promising drugs and made stigmatize them to the point where we can't even think about using them, uh, Thomas timothy leary not thomas leary i don't know who thomas leary is but timothy leary timothy's cousin you know, started timothy's making cousin. <laughs> okay <laughs> started making had some interesting experimental work done uh with lsd and then you know because of the cultural shift and bizarre response that the united states had uh, we've shut all that down and people are starting to poke at it around the fringes again and it seems like that it's had remarkable results well if I think back to my late teens there were some pretty mar-
2: remarkable results with some of the uh, illicit substances I may have tried. Please go on. No, very very little but I was an activist in Los Angeles uh, with ACT UP and Queer Nation and we had we had some crazy crowds and wild parties you know but we you know we were you know wearing the combat boots and marching in the streets and there were a few opportunities to Delve into things that might have been. Oh, maybe my mother wouldn't have approved, but <laughs> but was it helpful? You know what's interesting, Catherine, and I. I love that you asked me that question mm-hmm. because I'm sitting here on one side. I'm I'm literally thinking about the audience and what would I say to a kid and what would I want a kid to know or what right. would I want one of my clients to know if they were listening. Mm-hmm. And on the other side, I'm thinking, well, let's let's go with reality. And the funniest thing is they're merging because they're actually sort of the same thing. Mm-hmm. Yes and no. It wasn't helpful, and it was helpful. It right. wasn't helpful in, I, in that I didn't have any grand aha moment, no great awakening, nothing dramatic, nothing that would have been a Hollywood film. Mm-hmm. At the same time, when I think back on those events, as, and they were very limited, but mm-hmm. they were significant, I had some glimpses into the ways that I was restraining myself in life, the Mm -hmm. ways that I wanted to be authentic. But the drugs weren't going to give me the path to be more authentic. They gave me glimpses into who I was going to evolve into. So that boy who I once was seen as, named Michael or labeled Michael, saw some glimpses into the freedom that I live with now as Misha at this point in my transition as I've become more genuine and more authentic. Interesting. So yes and no
1: okay. is the answer. That's fair.
0: Well, seeing the logical takeaway from that, anybody who's having problems with self-identity in any way should be required to take LSD. Personally, I liked ecstasy, but
2: okay, that's another story. You. I mean, you're the clinician here, so. <laughs> yes. And and I am not advocating for anyone to right. be doing illicit yeah. drugs right. because I cannot. Right. Um, all these illicit drugs do have the potential to interact with other medications. Exactly. And that's that's. Always a risk factor, Mm -hmm. and one of the other things with a lot of these illicit type drugs is, for some of us, it can have they there can be adverse reactions that are very difficult Mm -hmm. because sometimes these drugs also give us a window to things that we've repressed, that may not be things that where we were ready or anticipating that we were going to work on. Now I could say that I repressed my gender identity, Mm -hmm. and. Drugs and substances may have helped me to, you know, release some of that in a sense or see some of it. Mm -hmm. But we also know that some of these substances can release historical trauma. Mm -hmm. You know, the body remembers everything. The body does not lie. The body keeps the score. There's all these phrases. Well, that trauma can find its way out and it can be a good thing. But if I'm not in a situation where I have the resources to deal with the trauma at that moment while I'm high mm-hmm. or shortly thereafterwards it can become a big challenge that's not to say we shouldn't do it i don't know i can't tell somebody mm-hmm. what they should or shouldn't do right.
0: but well unfortunately right now i think we're at the very beginning of the of the point where we can start to use it uh, in a therapy session yes yes hopefully we can get to that point because like i said some of the some of the early data suggests that this can be very powerful but that is one way to mitigate the potential problems Uh, first of all there are even though we don't have a lot of data on yet there are clearly some profiles of people who shouldn't be doing different types of drugs because of the potential downside Uh, Mm -hmm. but also if you if you're working with a clinician they can work you through whatever process whatever trip you're having
2: yeah well in the, the interesting thing is that Clinicians, for use of these illicit psychoactive drugs, you really do need training Mm -hmm. and experience to deal with the aftermath is a different story. There are many, many more therapists who can work with a client who's had the bad trip, mm-hmm. who's had the challenge, who's who's looking at aspects of themselves that they were not anticipating or, or perhaps didn't believe they were ready to see. I sort of come from the world of it's all grist for the mill. Right. If you
0: saw it, you were ready to see it. You were ready to know.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: It's just scary mm-hmm. sometimes. That's the key. I think, I, I think it's worth repeating. These drugs could be very effective with a therapist, with someone who's trained yes. to know what they're doing. Uh, and, and it brings you back to the point, you know, we're not recommending anyone do this on their own because, A, it's better to have guidance. I mean, you wouldn't go around injecting yourself with ivermectin willy-nilly, would you? Unless well. you had a parasite. Um, and the other thing was, if it's illicit, you don't actually know what you're getting. Exactly. So stick with a clinician. Well stated. Thank you. And what you mentioned, you mentioned along that discussion uh, your trans identity. So you are a trans woman. How how do you prefer being referred? Do you mind being called a trans woman? So he, here's a reality. So many of us, okay, Americans
2: mm-hmm. in particular, but you know, in many places across the world, we are born and we are inserted into this false binary or a false dichotomy, male, female. It's not one or the other. First of all, it's an and, right. it's male and female. In fact, try this in life. Every time you use the word or, replace or with and. And watch what happens. Watch how you start to expand your understanding of things. Mm -hmm. It is male and female. But when that binary is imposed, I'm supposed to be one or the other. Mm -hmm. And so here's the reality. Even though I have transitioned and some would say I have significantly transitioned, some might say I've completed my transition. Transition's a lifespan, so mm-hmm. I don't know what completed means. I never can be a cisgender or a biological mm-hmm. female because I was born with a male sex body. Mm-hmm. So I am a trans woman. I am a trans person. I am never never cisgender. Cis means same. Mm-hmm. Trans means across. So cisgender means your gender identity is the same as the sex assigned at birth. You're cisgender. Mm-hmm. I can't be cisgender, so I am a trans woman. It's a long answer to a simple
0: no, question. No, no, it's not a simple question. I don't think it's a, a simple <laughs> I don't I think, think it's it would, simple yeah. either.
2: Yeah, you're right.
0: It's not simple.
2: It's not simple.
0: The only... Caveat that's been bothering me is that I feel like this generation of kids is cause my son is 16 and he's got a lot of non-binary friends. They seem like they're putting a very strict binary interpretation of what male and female is and behaviorally especially. And when I was growing up, it was understood you could be a man and you could be gay and you could be effeminate and still be straight. Or there was just a lot more that male encompassed and female encompassed. There was it seemed like there was a lot more fungible. And it may be just the way I'm reading things from from an ounce outs- you know from a, a height of 50 years old looking down at the 20 year olds and the 15 year olds and seeing and just misinterpreting what they're talking about. But that's the only thing that kind of bothered me that it seems to be pigeonholing, <laughs> with the identity of male and female.
2: One of the interesting things is so many of these labels are in reaction to the binary, to male and female, and just by being in reaction to. We're also verifying or validating this idea of male and female. So it highlights that while it also sheds light on other ways. This It's interesting that we're, what we're talking about are labels. And labels are fascinating because labels are socially constructed. And it's a way that the brain tries to understand something. And if I can give it a label, mm-hmm. I can say it's this. Or it's that. Notice I used or. And if I can categorize something, then my brain thinks it understands it. And so the reaction that I have to so many of these labels is like, great. I love that people are finding a label that describes them an identity. Mm -hmm. But a label by definition is restrictive. Yes. Because now it puts you into a box. And how many of us do well in boxes? We don't. We fall out of boxes. Boxes break. Boxes evolve across time. The cardboard wears down. I'm growing, and I learn that, oh, I am different. I have no regrets that I spent 40-some years of my life as Michael Peck. Mm-hmm. He was a pretty good guy. He kept me alive. He got a lot of education. Mm-hmm. You know, He did great. I learned across time or through time who I am more authentically which is a, a wonderful thing. What an incredible privilege mm-hmm. that I was able to spend time exploring my gender right. and have access to the resources, medicine, healthcare providers, surgeons, etc., so that I could transition in a way that worked for me. Mm-hmm. And that way may be different than the way that it works for someone else, but what a, what a gift to just mm-hmm. have this privilege of being authentic, Mm -hmm. of being who I truly am and feeling comfortable Mm -hmm. in my own body. Mm -hmm. I think
0: the danger with the labels, too, Mm -hmm. is that you feel like you know what you're talking about. Oh, yeah. And you don't understand. I mean, this is the thing people complain about dictionaries because you can look up a word and you can understand what it means by the dictionary Mm -hmm. term. But that's usually a very narrow slice of what the word means. So it doesn't mean you understand the word or the concept it's trying to convey. And humans are very good at pattern recognition. Mm -hmm. And I think that happens in ideas as well. So once you think you understand something, you've kind of locked it away and you're not really thinking about it anymore. And this, I think, stops a lot of empathy from happening. And empathy, once you start thinking about trying to put yourself in someone else's shoes and thinking about what they're going through, it makes it a lot easier to empathize with them and try to be a little bit more understanding. That's the thing that really bothers me about people who are very... I don't know, want to say anti-trans or, or just who want to put other people in boxes. It's like think about what they're going through because it's probably a lot harder journey than what you had.
2: You're poetic with your words, James.
0: That, that's <laughs> very yeah. kind of you to say.
2: I, you, you are. You're, you're very thoughtful. And what I'm hearing in this is critical thinking breeds empathy. If I think critically, if I try to understand something more thoroughly, if I try to delve in to a topic or what I do sitting in an office with a client, trying to delve into their mind, trying to understand what's inside, how does their mind work, how do they understand the world, how do they see things, mm-hmm. the more I focus on trying to, to understand more critically. I don't mean criticizing. I mean critically in, in getting them. Mm-hmm. In asking some some thoughtful questions and gathering more data, not only am I reflecting that back to them, I'm also empathizing and I'm getting deeper and deeper in connection in relationship and in understanding mm-hmm. i think that's, that's
0: a, I think that's amazing It sounds like a superpower because i I have no ability to sit down with someone like that, especially at least someone I don't really know. So it seems like a superpower to be able to do that. I mean, I'm I'm happy to sit here all day and tell society how it should be run. But I couldn't (laughs) sit down with an individual person because I'd be like, well, I don't know. It's very interesting
2: because I try my best not to tell someone what to do. Mm -hmm. Right. My job is to get people to give themselves their their own advice. Mm -hmm. And it's not that I'm trying to trick you into saying the right words. It's that... The person who knows the answer is you. I'm just trying to help elicit it from you.
1: Mm-hmm. One question I have, and it kind of gets back to like your son at the age where there's a lot of non binary friends. Several of my friends um, have like non binary children post adolescence, early 20s. And in terms of like that, you know, how we're socialized with the binary, do you think that they're approaching this? In an authentic way, or is it what's happening now? I mean, it kind of reminds me in some ways of the women's movement at the beginning in the 70s. It's like when all of a sudden everyone was, you know, removing their bras and doing all this like drama stuff. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And, and now it's that representation in terms of almost like caricaturization in terms of like um, their binary identity.
0: Are you asking whether you think they're being authentic?
1: Yeah, I don't know. It's like, or is this just part of the process as we start adapting to new ways of thinking and more expansive ways of thinking? Is that the process?
2: What a wonderful concept to bring up and questions to ask. <laughs> and I, I, I love, I, oh, this is why I love talking with you, Catherine. I love being your friend. <laughs> so um, just so everyone knows, Catherine and I are personal friends.
1: Yes, we are. Um,
2: so, nothing is inauthentic.
1: Okay.
2: Nothing. How could it be? Okay. I am totally authentic in all the ways I deluded myself, you know, when I knew mm-hmm. I was trans and I was fighting it. Okay. When I weaned myself off of hormones for eight months, nine months, and acted like this was the wrong thing and I shouldn't be. That was authentic. Mm-hmm. Because that was what I needed on my journey at that point in time. So I do my best to never question someone's authenticity. Mm -hmm. And there's that 3 little word. Mm -hmm. And I believe you might be right, Catherine. Mm -hmm. This is part of a a movement. Mm -hmm. This is part of a process. And maybe, circling back to earlier conversation, one of the goals is Mm -hmm. that we actually... Get to a point where we are removing the idea of binary, that mm-hmm. we no longer have to be in reaction to mm-hmm. male and female, mm-hmm. but we just have a gender identity, or I'm gender free mm-hmm. and I just am. I get to be human and I get to do what works for me. You know, it, it's interesting because, you know, we're born in a world where we download so much data even before we're born. We're mm-hmm. downloading data in the womb, you know, transgenerational transmission mm-hmm. of fill-in-the-blank, mm-hmm. trauma, faith systems, et cetera, belief systems. And we're downloading data, and then we are observing so much at the beginning of life,
1: mm-hmm. and we
2: are observing gender. Yes. I mean, we're not just lighting forest fires with gender, mm-hmm. gender-reveal parties and all oh, that bullshit. Oh, right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that was crazy. <laughs> oh, my it's God. It's incredibly crazy, but you know, maybe part of what we're moving to is a world where we can be more free of these social barriers mm-hmm. these social constraints mm-hmm. of gender cuz honestly gender is nothing mm-hmm. and and i'm stealing this from a documentary and gender is everything at the same time it's nothing and it's everything mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, that's a good answer. That is I, a good answer. One of the things I think of as being a hallmark of intelligence is being able to hold two different ideas in your mind at the same time. And I think that's what you're talking about a little bit there. So I'm calling you very intelligent. Oh,
2: am I being authentic?
0: Well, you're saying <laughs> smart things, so it doesn't really matter.
2: <laughs> I hope I am. You know.
0: I, I think as long as you're being truthful, I don't think that I'm too concerned about what messaging we're giving. Because tr- for mm-hmm. me, truth is is very important. It's yeah. like the most yeah. important thing.
2: And there are multiple truths that mm-hmm. coexist at the same mm-hmm. time. And sorry to burst someone's bubble. I, I hope I don't burst someone's bubble, but there are facts. And there are facts that do exist. And we know that f- facts can be changed and evolve mm-hmm. over time. Questioning mm-hmm. things. Critical thinking. Right what we inherit and what we experience and the down, the data that we download mm-hmm. very early on so as we were chatting before we started recording mm-hmm. i mentioned that my father's my father was a survivor of the nazi holocaust yes. well i downloaded epigenetically so that's the effects of genes in the environment epigenetics mm-hmm. so genetic expression through the environment mm-hmm. I downloaded a lot of data from my father. I downloaded trauma. Mm -hmm. And then being born, I was observing and watching. That's what babies do. We pay a lot of attention. Mm -hmm. We're very smart when we're babies. We're still smart. Mm -hmm. One of the things that I learned from my father was how to question everything by observing, by Mm -hmm. watching, by seeing that there were multiple sides and multiple angles. Mm -hmm. My father was a very, very wounded man. He was full of sadness. But my father watched everything. That was a survival skill. Exactly. And survivors pay a lot of attention to the world. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: You know, the interesting thing, just look around us. There's only three of us at this Mm -hmm. table right now. (laughs) There's a lot of survivors here. Mm
1: -hmm.
2: We've lived on the planet. We've learned what we need to attend to and what we need to pay attention to. Mm -hmm. And that leads to critical thinking. It's when I accept something as 100% true and unchangeable that I run into problems. Mm -hmm. Because I have to recognize that facts will evolve, that data, additional data will change what I conclude. And I have to be willing to see, observe, take in data. Oh, here, let let me place this back over there. I, for those of you who can't see, I was putting my soapbox back uh, okay. under the
1: table. soapbox? <laughs> yeah. Well, the last podcast, we talked a little bit about the educational system. Oh, boy. A lot of that. Of and one of my criticisms was that critical thinking doesn't seem to be a big part of what they support in those processes.
0: I think it's kind of hard to teach. It, I well, think that's the thing.
1: Like, can you teach it, or is it just something that's innate and, think, evo- and evolutionary within our own? Oh no, no. Experience? no. I, th- I
0: think you can teach it. it. I think it takes time, though, and it's one of those subtle things that our schools aren't good with subtle things, right? Well, and you can't test for it.
1: Well, you can test for logical reasoning. In, in my experience, it's like you know, I went through all of this education, and then I'm sitting for the law school aptitude test, you know, the LSAT, and all of a sudden, it's all like logical reasoning. And you realize how ill prepared, and I did well, but it, I think that was just because that's who I am to some extent. But you're logical? I'm illogical at this uh, point. I mean, we're talking. <laughs> but I realized how ill prepared, you know, because I, I did take some prep courses, and it's like, and all of a sudden I'm looking at it a different way. And it's like, do you think that, is that what you mean by the observational aspect? Do you think that critical teaching, I mean, critical thinking and crit, those skills can be taught, or is it more.
2: Yes, I do. Okay. There are a lot of thinkers in educational settings looking at pedagogy, look andragogy, whatever mm-hmm. word they're using now. But how do we teach people to think critically? Right. How do we teach students to expand the way this, that they understand the world? It takes work, and it takes a lot of—I uh, think the word is dedication. It takes dedication yes. from, from teachers, faculty— to be willing to put the time in to help each student learn to think critically. When I was on faculty at San Jose State, actually, I lied, University of Washington when I was studying, I found this organization called criticalthinking.org. I think that's their website. That's what I call the organization. And they have a lot of materials, wonderful materials, about how to teach critical thinking guides to critical thinking, small, easy to understand pamphlets and brochures and things that really help guide us mm-hmm. in the critical thinking process, in learning to question, in learning to analyze more deeply. And as I'm answering this, I'm thinking that we're going back to also to privilege. Mm-hmm. Now, people think critically who who lack privilege. In fact, suffering makes cause us to think more critically than anything Uh however if i'm not in a life situation where i can afford the capacity so i'm what i'm doing right now at this moment is i'm i'm thinking and speaking (laughs) okay and yeah it's 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 very magical if you were here with us now you you would see a little bit of smoke coming out of my ears because as i'm saying things i'm realizing that gosh I am trying to think critically and question what I'm about to say. Mm-hmm. And is it accurate? You know, are there cases that tell me something different? Is there data that says mm-hmm. what I'm about to say is not factual? Mm-hmm. And the fact is, I think we're born with the capacity to think critically and to analyze. That's what the cerebral cortex, the left and right brains, note I said plural, mm-hmm. left and right brains. They're two different brains, those hemispheres. They need each other, and that's why they're connected. I mean, all the brains are connected, mammalian, reptilian, and the left and right Mm -hmm. uh, cerebral cortex. We are born thinking critically, trying to understand things, trying to make sense of things. Yes, those skills develop as the brain develops Mm -hmm. well into our 20s, but we are born with that capacity to analyze and to question.
0: It's how do we nurture it? Okay. Mm. I think that's... That may be the question. I think that's it.
1: Yeah, I think that's it. Yeah.
0: Well, as we discussed before we were recording, we did a lot of discussing before we were recording because I messed up the audio so badly. (laughs) Um, I had my knobs turned the wrong way. (laughs) I have fixed that. Hmm. I I know a good surgeon who could take care of that. (laughs) Well, it wasn't a surgical issue, but uh, I'll keep that in mind. What was I saying? Knobs. Knobs. As we were talking before. Audio. Yeah. Humans are born with a pretty crummy operating system in that we're completely incapable of taking care of ourselves, and we need to learn and be taught almost everything, unlike a calf who is born and can walk a couple minutes later. A lot of animals have their entire operating system for their entire lives downloaded the moment they 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 get pushed out. That obviously is a, a huge detriment to humans, but it also allows us to write the operating system as we go. And this goes back to what you were saying about creating new paradigms the sky's kind of the limit as to what we can do and what we what kind of operating systems and rules that we write as long as it's not encouraging more suffering the idea for me morally speaking is discourage suffering and encourage happiness <sighs> oh
2: I can't have the right side of my body without the left side of my body I can't have sunlight
0: without darkness
2: I can't have happiness without suffering.
1: Very yogic. Two sides of a coin.
0: Yeah, I'm not 100% sold on that. Because a lot of people can have suffering without happiness. Have you
2: ever sat with a traumatized person, full of angst, full of pain, ready to maybe toss themselves off of a balcony? No. No. And get them to laugh? Not that I'm trying to get somebody in that situation <laughs> to laugh. <laughs> right. However, it will happen. And when that moment happens, that's when I know we're on the road to uh, their safety. It's interesting. I love using computer metaphors mm-hmm. for the brain because my brain is my computer. right? And it's a pretty valuable computer. It's an amazing system. And I might modify what you said, mm-hmm. if I may, James. Oh, please. Because I, I, I love this. But I actually believe the operating system is already there. We're born with an operating system. What we're doing all through our life is we're installing programs Mm -hmm. and we're uninstalling. problem is, even though I may try to uninstall a program, there's lots of fragments that still exist. So updating my old out-of-date brain that I have through evolution, updating that brain is, is very difficult. It takes work. It takes persistence. That may be where the luxury is. That may be where the privilege is mm. that I can spend time doing that, mm-hmm. pushing myself to understand things even more deeply. And what's interesting is that operating system that we're talking about mm-hmm. has some, we'll call them manufacturer's defaults, oh, yeah. default yeah. settings. I have a default setting that I'm going to continue to push myself to be more authentic and more authentic, and more authentic, to be as genuinely authentic as possible. That doesn't mean who I was before was was inauthentic. It was authentic for then. I continue to evolve into my most authentic self, and I will do that until I take my last breath of life. There's other s- systems, default settings, manufacturer's defaults, we'll call them, and I am hardwired to feel pride, joy, mm-hmm. gratitude, curiosity, love and lust, joy, Mm -hmm. caring. What happens is life sometimes trips those defaults sort of like a circuit breaker. And I feel shame, fear, anger and rage, hate, other things.
0: I guess one of the points I was trying to make is probably better illustrated by some of the interesting research I've seen on how our brains deal with more complicated issues or ideas that we probably weren't involved to deal with. Uh, I, I found it really interesting when they did a study on the brain to see when you think of someone being cold, it activates the part of your brain that is responsible for responding to physical cold. The same thing with hot. So it's interesting to consider that a lot of our emotions are based on sensory feedback or hardware that's designed to do something completely different. And this is the fascinating thing about the brain. Once you start understanding how we manipulate our own brains in order to have more interesting and higher level thoughts and emotions, how those higher level thoughts and emotions are far more abstract and less connected necessarily to reality. So we can create our own realities and we can respond to them differently. Some people have very strong opinions about a lot of very basic things. And I think they're failing to realize that their strong opinions are based on a really weird string of causality between where our brains' ideas th- start and where they end up. I-, I don't know if I made any sense with that, so I apologize. <laughs> and I don't know how to, you're going to follow up with that, so we can talk about something else. How is your coffee? Human behavior. <laughs> <laughs> Do you, need, do you need any more coffee? Oh, I would love more oh. coffee.
2: But, but you don't need to step away yet because I need to respond or okay. we need to continue this conversation because this is much more engaging than, than any amount of caffeine could ever be. At least I like to think so. So human behavior fails to be unicausal. It's multicausal. Mm-hmm. We do this all the time. We try to reduce things to single-cause This caused this, this caused this, because we're cognitive misers. I don't want to use too much brain power because there's so many things my brain has to pay attention to, which is why labels are so easy. If you're either male or female, then, then that's it. I've got two categories. Now I don't have to think so much, which is why I struggle with somebody who may be, or I may struggle, I should say, with somebody who is non-binary, who uh, is gender expansive and questions what I believed, I knew. My operating system is so primitive, and that those primitive aspects of the brain don't disappear. Mm-hmm. So if I don't understand something, I may go into fear-based response. It's that four-letter F word that Fs with us all the time, Mm -hmm. (laughs) fear. If I don't know, if I can't read you or if I feel cold, I may be perceiving this as a threat. So my body is going to do things to respond to a threat. It's very interesting because we're sitting here speaking into microphones and nobody listening to this can see us. And what's very, very interesting, and I know Catherine very well, Catherine has not been speaking with her hands. She has not been doing what she usually does, nor have I. Mm-hmm. And I am very, very animated usually. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's a very different experience when you see somebody and they're gesturing with their hands and their mm-hmm. hands are there mm-hmm. versus if their hands were hidden. Right. What happens? How do we respond? That's my primitive brain. Going into, is our potential threat? Where are their hands? What do I have to worry about? This is, I mean, it's just fascinating what the brain does. There is so much neurobiological research being done and neurocognitive research. Mm-hmm. It is amazing. And what happens in this computer, it doesn't tell me everything. Mm-hmm. Because we can't ignore the social world.
0: Yeah, I think that's a good point about the brain. Not, not only does it not tell us everything, but it lies to us on a regular basis
2: it lies to us cuz it's it's responding it's the old operating system
0: well i, I should it, may, it might be better to say that it's an unreliable witness that, than that it lies to us but it's. i think it all goes back to the the pattern recognition which is what you were said earlier it's it's based on it the brain is trying to get away with doing as little work as it possibly can so it relies on pat, pattern recognition in all kinds of ways and mm-hmm. that it, it makes it easy to put things in buckets and not really concentrate on them and understand them <laughs>
2: I, I just adore you, Catherine. What are you laughing at? I
1: don't at? know. I'm just laughing.
2: It's nice to see. It's so funny because when he said buckets, uh-huh. I went back to that old Monty Python. <laughs> <laughs> I was to the beginning of one of those films. And it was just, it was a, I don't
0: remember which film, Meaning of Life. Which one with the buckets? I don't remember buckets. Bring Not- me
2: a bucket.
0: Just <laughs> one more tiny wafer. Thin oh, yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> I- going to go on a limb, and I think that was the meaning of life. I think so. I don't know. That, that ended well.
1: The meaning of life?
0: No, that scene.
2: <laughs> the computer knew what
0: to do.
1: The computer knew what to do.
0: Uh, in that case, I don't think it did. Didn't it wind up with him exploding?
2: It may have, yes, but...
0: but Hate to burst your bubble.
2: <laughs> I just wanted to expel things that I didn't need anymore.
0: Oh, that's a good excuse for not remembering things. <laughs> Would you like more coffee now? I would love okay. some more coffee.
2: <laughs> so this podcast, am I correct, is called Subrant? Correct. And we, we sort of were in the subconscious or <laughs> something. We were having fun. But what's, what's very interesting for me being interviewed is I'm so used to being the one who, in a sense, is in the driver's seat mm-hmm. as, a, as a therapist. And I, I have to say I've been sitting here and I've been watching Mm -hmm. In particular, I've been watching you, Catherine. You've been somewhat quiet. I have been. But I know there's a lot going on in your mind. (laughs) And I'm so curious, your response to this conversation with, you know, two friends who Uh just met for the first time and you've been watching this. What are you noticing? What do you see?
1: I, no, I just think it's fascinating because you guys just met, but I, um, you know, both of you have just met, but I feel like I've talked a lot about both of you to each other, you know, because I've talked about the podcast to you, Misha, and I've talked about Misha because I was really ex- excited to have her on. Well, and you talked to her a lot. Yeah, and I talked a lot about it, and I think I just wanted to see you guys, you know, b- both, both of you interact, and it's just been kind of fascinating. I mean, genuinely, so. it
0: seems like you're a big part of her life because she talks about you a lot.
1: You are a big part of my life. Aww. You are. Yeah. You know, very special.
2: It Catherine was a part of something that is is very difficult for some people to understand how truly significant it was. Mm-hmm. Yes, I'm a trans woman. Yes, I have had some gender affirming or gender confirming as mm-hmm. it's sometimes called. I prefer affirming surgeries. Mm-hmm. And there was one of the surgeries. I had to spend about seven or eight nights mm-hmm. in a recovery center right. at the, the surgical center in the in one of the rooms. And every evening, I think after the first night when I was a little too loopy, mm-hmm. I would call Catherine. She would be my last phone call, my <laughs> final, the final frontier of my day. <laughs> and I'd lay in bed with the earbuds in, and we would just talk as I was. Volume, you know, waiting please. for the nurse to bring meds or something or mm-hmm. I'd get a little more loopy. Sometimes the nurse would come in for an exam mm-hmm. and and I would let the nurses know, I'm on the phone with a nurse friend of mine and I would, I would narrate what was going mm-hmm. on and, and I would hear, <laughs> Catherine would sometimes make a comment or ask a question and then I would ask the nurse. Mm-hmm. But we would have these very, very, you know, to me they felt deep. It may have been the... Uh, drugs. The drugs, yes. <laughs> but... <laughs> But we'd have these wonderful conversations mm-hmm. just about, you know, meaning of life, what, what this surgery was meaning mm-hmm. for me. And it's such an amazing transition. Interesting word choice right there. Mm-hmm. When, when we have surgery and the body matches the mind, I did not anticipate the level of what I'm going to call ego integration, my mm-hmm. sense of self Becoming so much more whole and complete, and more comfortable. Mm-hmm. And there are people who've commented who didn't know I had surgery who've commented on how wonderful I seem and how I seem like I've, I've been growing into myself. Mm-hmm. And I have friends who then who know I've had surgery who I've spent time with, and they are just amazed by how much more comfortable I seem as a person on this planet. Mm-hmm. And and we know that for. Those trans people for whom surgery is the right choice, getting surgery increases or improves their sense of happiness and well-being. Mm-hmm. We know this.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: Surgeries are a medical necessity for someone who wants to have surgery.
0: When you say we, I think you should understand that you're really talking to, the I think, the trans community and the people who are around that because it doesn't filter out into the general public that much. That message probably needs to get out more. Yes. So that... Mm-hmm. Yes, we, 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 for the trans community, yes, right. thank you for, for that clarification. Uh, well, I think that's a big part of the problem. I think that's a big pro- part of any big problem that we have is that we don't hear the voices that we need to hear so we can really understand the story.
1: Exactly, mm-hmm. exactly. And I've learned so much about, you know, through your journey, because mm-hmm. when I met you, I remember the day I met you, we met at an art class, mm-hmm. and this beautiful person walks in, and I think you just started... Maybe on hormones it was quite a bit back there
2: or you had just yeah you know, i had been on hormones for a few months just a few months i was i presented in a very non-binary it was a very non-binary
1: right and so this beautiful person just walks in with this you know i remember your hair was long and you had these little glasses on you had on like a, a black jacket and, you know, kind of black jeans and like boots, like knee-high boots. And this little tank top that said, Queer as I want to be.
2: Oh, let me be perfectly queer.
1: Let me be perfectly queer. <laughs> that was what it was. Let me be perfectly queer. And you just walked in and, and stood there. And like you were, <sighs> like literally did that. Like, I'm here. I'm present. I'm here. Love me. It was just, <laughs> and I thought, we
2: are going to be such good friends.
1: I mean, right at that moment. I just knew. I just Come knew. On. Yeah. And it was cool. And I was right.
2: So you walked right back into where I was actually leading you by <laughs> asking the question before, which is fascinating. Because uh-huh. what I'm noticing happening here at the, at this table, uh-huh. what I know is the second or the other, I should say the other most important thing in, in life. One is to be... My most, or that we are our most genuine and authentic self, which is evolving, as I said, mm-hmm. until we take our last breath of life. Mm-hmm. And the second is to love and be loved, mm-hmm. to have connection. We're hardwired for that. We're born for connection. That's what makes us so wonderfully human. And it's so important and mm-hmm. it brings so much joy. And, and what we're talking about and what we're doing is connecting. Right. And it's just so wonderful, and and I love that story because I still remember, I remember your smile and your eyes. <laughs> oh, do you? And meeting you, yeah. That was that was what I noticed, and and those are things that you know our brains take those kinds of things in, and we say, oh look, friend, uh-huh. this is someone with whom I want to connect, and there can be all sorts of reasons based on, you know. Past experiences and historical down data that's been downloaded and that you remind me of or, or I feel or there's mm-hmm. just a sense, you know, because the brain knows.
1: Yeah, our little jewelry class. And we kind of bonded over this neighborhood because mm-hmm. you said you would, yeah, we are talking about Coronado. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. you lived here and I, li- I lived yes. here, uh-huh. both
2: of us in our pasts. Right.
0: And now yeah. I do. And now you yeah. do. Does that make me the winner?
1: Because you're still here. Yeah. Either the well, winner I or the loser, because
0: uh, we moved out. Loser? Down. I don't know. <laughs> it depends on how much you pay oh. for your house. <laughs> <laughs> I bought it in 2011, so not a lot. Uh, mm-hmm. Fraction good. of what it's worth now. That's awesome. We bought it at the bottom of the market,
2: Perfect. which is the way to
0: do it. Couldn't buy it now. <laughs> <laughs> no. <laughs> that does worry me a little bit, though. When you're talking about those connections or being able to read her, her face and get so much information from that, because I worry with the younger generation, even before COVID, it seemed like they were being more disconnected and not talking directly to other people. It seems like it's only gotten a lot worse during COVID. Kids just don't know how to talk to and re- and interact with other kids as well as 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 I I think as as well as used to. I remember a few years ago. So we live in Corona. I live right down the street from a high school. Uh, you know, they get a little rambunctious when they get out of school, and sometimes they'll do donuts in the corner, and I don't like that. So I, one day I got really mad at this kid who's, I, I am not much, of I'm 145 pounds wet. <laughs> I'm not much of a threat. And, and I was approaching, in a very angry mood, I was approaching this kid who's, you know, got at least 60 pounds on me, if not more. And I go up to him, you, you can't do that here. And I was uh, kind of yell. And I was, was trying to be restrained. But I was explaining to him in a very forceful way that he's not allowed to do that here. And he couldn't look me in the eye. And I thought that was really weird. I think it goes to this point where kids today just don't know how to re- interact with humans.
2: Yes, and there's that <laughs> word. I remember years ago, I used to be a lifeguard. I was a lifeguard in Malibu. Wow. Ooh. Ooh. And I was lifeguarding at a pool and there was this this summer camp was rented for a week, and I think it was bringing a lot of homeless youth for their week retreat. And I, mean, I, I would observe and see these amazing, amazing experiences that youth would have who had never been up in nature, never been in the, in the hills, never you know, climbed a tree, and there was a pool. You know. Hence, I was the lifeguard. And these two kids went, diving in, jumping into the deep end, and neither of them could swim. And I got a little upset. Mm -hmm. And it was very interesting because they couldn't look at me. And then I realized I was making a big faux pas when I said, look at me. These were two Latino children, Mm -hmm. Latinx. That's respect in their culture.
1: Oh, to not look.
2: To not look. Oh. (laughs) Now, I don't know what happened in your situation. Yes, you are right that there are different dynamics that occur in the communication that, you know, the newer generation does, and I love how we can sound like our parents right now and say kids today. Right. When we when we were young, we weren't like that, oi. <laughs> well, I'm amazed by what younger generations can read and understand in texts. That I completely oh. miss mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and thank God I have some younger friends because they've helped me a little bit with my very limited dating life.
1: Mm-hmm.
2: Limited in that we're in that yeah. I like meeting people in person and I don't understand all this electronic stuff. I mean, I I cognitively understand it and I know right. how to use it and do these things, but it's not the way I operate mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I've had a lot of younger friends who are helping me to to sort of understand what things mean and, and kind of get a handle on this. Because I need to understand the different way all the younger men who are approaching me are relating. I mean, wait, wait. age-appropriate younger mm-hmm.
0: men. What does that mean? Oh, you mean legal? I don't Yes. Age-appropriate. <laughs> yes. course, okay. that varies state-to-state? <laughs> oh, Not that I know. I'm just saying. I know, right? Getting old sucks, but I am, one thing that I am racing towards is becoming that guy. Get off my lawn, you damn kids. I am already there. So yeah, I get that I'm, uh, I don't know, not the best person.
2: (laughs) Well, I think it's time to do some zero-scaping in the front yard. Get rid of the lawn. You can avoid becoming that man.
0: But we don't have a grass, and see, now I'm being very, I'm being, I'm very objective-oriented. So I'm going to, I'm blowing right past your analogy. In fact, I tweeted this one time. Don't use your analogies on me because I don't hear the analogy. I just hear the thing you're trying to say (laughs) or not the thing you're trying to say, the thing you're actually saying instead (laughs) of the analogy. Don't use analogies on me. (laughs) They will always backfire. Uh, we have a zero escape front yard. Get off my yard. Get (laughs) off my zero escape front yard. (laughs) Get off my cacti. Get off my, oh, actually, yeah, that's, I hate cactus, but that's a good reason to put a cactus, more cactus in the front yard.
1: That's another t-shirt.
0: What, get off my cactus? Yes. I think that's a bit of a stretch. Go for it, though.
1: Okay, I'm going to try. I'll try anything.
0: What were we talking about? Oh, no. Why are we here? Connection. Why are we here? Yeah. That's not really my my forte. Connection? Yeah.
2: Which is so interesting because you were sitting on the front porch waiting for me, so I I actually felt welcomed. But it's interesting because I moved my car across the street. Mm Mm-hmm. Because I was looking at where the direction I was parked and where the sun was going to come in the front window. Mm. The back window's tinted, the front window. And I thought, I should face the other direction, so let me park across the street. Mm-hmm. And so I said to James, as he says, as he's coming to greet me and watching me move my car from a perfectly <laughs> good parking spot no. to, to parallel parking between two cars across the street. <laughs> and he says, are you Misha? And I said, yes, I was just paying attention to the sun and wanted to park my car where it was going to stay cooler. Uh At which point he looks at me and he says, we're not in that time of year now.
0: Oh, (laughs) you see, I didn't say it meanly, but because of the way I operate, it's just the way it comes out.
2: I can just hear it. Oh my God. It's not that season anymore, Misha. It's not that season anymore. Correct. That's what he said. I don't remember. And What's funny is I didn't actually... I wasn't bothered by what you said or how you said it. Thank God. But I immediately <laughs> filed the data away about oh, this is somebody who operates with facts. This is somebody mm-hmm. who's, who's, who's going to be very straightforward and direct. Mm-hmm. And what a perfect pairing with my friend Catherine, who was, as usual, late. I mean, I mean who, was, <laughs> I who was late. I say that. I knew it. Who was late because of traffic. Oh, right. And because I of thought, traffic. Well, that's always the answer. Mm-hmm. I grew up in Los Angeles. You were always oh, 10 traffic. minutes late. Oh, there was traffic. There was traffic.
0: Well, if there's always traffic, can't you account for that? <laughs> exactly. Oops.
2: <laughs> exactly. But literalist and very, very direct. And I said, this is going to be fun because what I was assessing was personalities. <gasps> oh, my God. Is Are that you why judging I'm single? me? No, I like your personality, <laughs> no, okay. actually. Please judge. No, I have no problem. Yeah. We're always judging. Exactly. Mm-hmm. I know. I mean, I can't turn it off. Yeah. No one can. We're making appraisals continuously throughout waking life. The human brain mm-hmm. is appraising and attaching meaning to things. Right. Which leads to my, one of my favorite expressions. Thank you, actor, by the way, for this. Nothing has meaning except the meaning you
0: give it. Mm. Mm. mm, that's something people should remember.
1: Who said that?
2: Well, my friend Ector said it to me, so I attribute that to him, but I am certain that he got it from someone else because, I mean, is there really original thought? No,
0: no unfortunately not. not.
1: No.
0: Sorry, I Catherine.
1: I don't think so. Is there original thought? I don't think there's even original art.
0: Well, of course not. <laughs> is there original sin? You know, that's what we were supposed to be here for, is talking about art. That's what we come here for. So what you're telling me is you wanted an art therapist. I think we just I'm need sorry. to start over. I, I think we need to start over. Oh.
1: Well, I met Misha in art school, so.
0: Oh, well, I guess that's art related then. Yeah.
2: And Misha has a very random collection of art.
1: Yeah, Misha's an art collector. Misha has one of my pieces.
0: Yes, I do. But speaking about the car. <laughs> love the car. Thank you. I love She's, She is so I, much fun. I've been in love with Miata's since the very first one in 1980-something or another. How how many Miattos
2: have you had? I've had three. This is my third. She's a 2018 RF, so it's the the Targa top. So it's the hard top that mm-hmm. then becomes the Targa top, and she is sassy. Her name is Marlena.
0: Is it a stick shift? <coughs> <laughs> <coughs> I should there be any other kind? Well, real, real girls drive stick. Unfortunately, when I brought a Prius, I had to go away from the stick, but that's mm. the, the compromise you make with a Prius. There's
2: there's some low hanging fruit, and I love puns, but I, and I am going to walk away from it. <laughs> Why? I have a manual transmission. Yes. Don't walk away from that. What? <laughs> I have a manual.
0: Transmission. <laughs> anyway, yes, that's that's the way to do it is for a sports car or of or course. any kind of car unless it's a Prius, <laughs> or uh, you know, an Elon Musk car with the, end of the Tesla.
2: It's interesting how few cars are now available with manual.
0: It is disappointing, is what it is. I agree. It is disgraceful. And I'm not triggered. I'm just angry. Oh, you're triggered. Well, what's the difference? Well, I I guess the
2: one nice thing is I have fewer friends who say, Can I drive your car? Well,
0: that's Mm -hmm. the nice thing about it. They can't drive
2: your car. And the ones who drive stick, who drive manual, oh my God, they have so much fun riding my car. Marlena Miata.
1: Marlena Miata. Mm-hmm. And Marlena Miata has a new license plate.
2: Oh, yeah. <laughs> so so you'll like this story. This is hilarious. So as I'm in my transition and I I sold my house in the Coronado, I moved into a condo, I bought this car, I'm really you know embracing my identity, and I'm thinking, what can I do for a license plate? And I'm like, you know, I was you know, a queer activist. I do a lot of gender stuff. My business is even called Q, the letter Q, counseling. And so I'm like, Q, queer. What can I do with queer? Could I write queer? And then I think, oh, wait. Since I, as we as we know, I cannot be a cisgender female, I'm always queer, non-binary. And so I think, how can I make that into a license plate? Q for queer, N-O-N for non And the number two binary would be like zero one. But, you know, I wanted it to be spaced properly. So QAnon two. Oh, wow. The day day I was being followed on the highway by a QAnon supporter who was so happy to see this this sexy little redhead in a sports car with the top down holding up his QAnon face mask or flag or whatever he had and driving by and honking and going in the show and I have this look of terror on my face that I could not get off the freeway fast enough that was the day I decided to change my license plate and
1: you call me and you're like I am horrified (laughs) I laugh so hard, I could. St- I I still think about that and I laugh.
0: I know that seems like a really good way to lead people down a road that they may not have picked for themselves, <laughs> literally and figuratively. <laughs> oh yes, I
2: think I would have been the one who is, would have been suffering more in that
0: relationship. Well, it depends on where you you where you end up. You know, if you bring them to a place where a lot of your friends. <laughs> they may they might come out a different person. In <laughs> all seriousness, it, I, I say that, but there was this wonderful woman who was doing who did a documentary about you know the extreme right, uh, the the white nationalists here in the United States. And she was going one on one with these people, and over the course of the documentary she basically flipped most of them hmm. from being like running the the KKK to getting out of the KKK and realizing that not all dark skinned people are bad. And they became friends. You know, if you want to do it one by one, you could theoretically deprogram all these people. We are so, in this
2: conversation, dangerously close to the idea that trans people can flip people or gay people can flip Mm -hmm. people, that we can turn someone into something who they're not. That's not what I heard. And I I know we're not saying that. No. But, you know, Mm -hmm. it's very interesting to talk about survivor mentality That's where my brain went mm-hmm. was you were talking, making sure we didn't go there.
1: Oh no. But
2: but it's so funny how, you know, as a survivor, we immediately go there as part of our mm-hmm. self protection historically, what mm-hmm. people have said things said things to me or done things or created these these fallacies, you know, mm-hmm. that there are people who believe it.
0: Mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, I apologize. I didn't think of that. No, no, no.
2: I know you weren't going there, but but I'm just thinking about how how do you help people to understand what I cannot do? I mean,
0: you're not a ma- magician. You uh, a magician? No. You can't flip people like that. Oh, well, that's gosh. disappointing. Well, I mean, you're trained well, too. I mean, when
2: I'm working out, maybe I could flip them. But <laughs> so in my childhood, you know, I told you my father was a survivor of the Nazi Holocaust. Mm-hmm. In many ways, very simple. So the conversation when I met with him to talk about like how do you know who you're attracted to as I'm trying to figure out who I am mm-hmm. that was sort of beyond his his parenting capacity mm-hmm. my mother however was um, I used to, I used to actually think I was a therapist because I had such a crazy mother it was probably more because I was my father's parent in epigenetics and there's a lot of research that Rachel Yehuda has done and looking at survivors and survivors of survivors and, and all this but So I was probably being programmed to be a therapist by my father because I was his parent. Going to my mother, though, who was, oh, God, there's a word, batshit crazy, Okay. um, she actually would tell me directly and indirectly that I was going to be this horrible person,
0: Hmm. that I was
2: going to do these awful things. And it was until I started building friendships in college Mm -hmm. you know when I was no longer living in her house and I could start excising Beverly voices Mm -hmm. from my life my mother was named Beverly if you didn't figure that out when I could start getting rid of these Beverly voices I started seeing how insane Mm -hmm. it was but when you're raised in this environment It's amazing what you start to believe about yourself, about the world, when it's said again and again and again and again. And this goes right back, circling back to how we download data. You know, the environment that we live in, that we are raised in, teaches us so much. So I didn't even realize what my father was doing to me. I don't think he realized what he was doing to me. My mother was just vicious. So, I became this person who was incredibly sensitive to others and who had an incredible amount of shame because of the environment she was raised in, I was raised in. Hmm. You know, it's just fascinating, you know, and that's the data. And so, part of what we do in our adult lives is we undo the damage that was done to us earlier in life. Right. And I'm not unique in that. All of us have to update the wiring, update the data you know and it's
0: jolly difficult
2: and we do it because we're hardwired to do
0: it now you said uh, epigenetics do you know the definition of that
2: epigenetics is the influences of
0: the environment on genetic expression right okay that i I thought that's what it meant but and my mind lets go of things very easily, so I had forgotten that. And and I would I want to say that I would have been very skeptical of the things you are talking about epigenetically speaking, unless I'd seen evidence of it. And and I have. There are some really fascinating studies that show the repercussions uh, genetic expressions that can be seen and correlated through the generations. So there's a great study that showed that if a person's great grandparents had suffered some kind of famine during their teen years, the grandchild would have noticeable gene differences in the way they respond to diabetes pressures as well as fat pressures. And so that was a very clear correlation. And, and so it just opens the, the floodgate to understanding that it's the genes are great, but they're not, I don't want to sound flippant, but they're not binary. Genes, there are so many genes and so many interactions with the genes, and the genes can be affected... That uh, it's not a clear science. It's not black and white. Not everything gets put in a box. So I love boxes, by the way. Human behavior fails to be unicausal. It's
2: multi-causal, even at the level of genetic right. expression. Exactly.
1: So is that like generational memory? or?
2: I guess is,
0: in a way it could be considered that.
1: I've heard that term like years ago. I think it... Kind of in relation to the Holocaust and different things. You know, it's like generational memory. Mm-hmm.
0: In some ways, it sounds a bit woo-woo, but in some ways, I think it could be supported. You know, I don't I don't, know if it's...
2: We look at transgenerational transmission of trauma. So, you know, I grew up in Southern California, mm-hmm. and my father was a child survivor of the Nazi Holocaust, right. as were his two brothers. My father was the middle son mm-hmm. of three boys. And my cousins on the Peck side of the family, mm-hmm. my father's side of the family, I probably spent less time with them growing up than I did with cousins on my mother's side of the family. Mm -hmm. However, the things that connect us as cousins because of our parents, our fathers in particular, Mm -hmm. and how they pass down the trauma, there are things when we start talking as cousins about what our parents did or what we learned or how we handled things that are so peculiar and so very different than our other friends that we grew up with you know same place same time same school Mm -hmm. who weren't raised by holocaust survivors Mm -hmm. you don't know that until you get together with other survivors and start to learn how quirky some of these things Mm -hmm. are
1: interesting that's interesting So let me just ask you a couple things Please. that's going to shoot a favorite cocktail.
2: Probably a hanky panky. Okay. Could be a green ghost.
1: I have no idea what either of those are, but they sound like that's the right answer. I
2: love a good Negroni as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I'll tell you anything that Manny mixes up for me over at Restaurant Progress. Those are some of the best cocktails. Okay. Shout out, Shout to, out Manny. to Manny.
1: All right. Thai or Pizza.
2: I'm gluten intolerant and lactose intolerant. Which do you oh, think so the answer
0: is? <laughs>
1: the answer.
0: <laughs> tie me up, tie me down. I mean, otherwise it would be a very, that's like not a fair question to ask, I don't think. No. But at least you have an answer since you have some intolerances. <laughs> since you're very intolerant, I guess that'll do.
2: I know, it's ironic because I seem like such a tolerant person and then there's just these clear
0: cut. Oh, t- yes and no. Yes I and th- no. I get the sense there are some things you will not put up with. Am I wrong about that? Have you met some of my exes? (laughs) Uh, Not that I know of. Oh. Hmm.
2: Then, no, I'm very tolerant. (laughs) Okay.
1: (laughs) Okay, and the final question I have, and I think I know the answer to this also. Dog or cat?
2: You know, it's very funny that you say that. Mm -hmm. Because I definitely am a dog person, but... The dog that I have and the breed that I'm loyal to mm-hmm. are the dog for cat lovers. I have a Whippet, and mm-hmm. they love to snuggle, to be on the furniture, to curl up with you. Uh, but I am more of a dog person. Dog person.
0: Okay. But cat tolerant? Cat tolerant, yes. Good. Cat tolerant. Good. Yes. That
1: sounds good. Well, Because we
0: don't have cats only in our mugs here. We have them in our house, too. <laughs>
1: wow. Okay. Well, thank you. This was
2: delightful. This was fun. I'm. I. This. What a treat to spend a morning, or maybe even now it's an afternoon, with the two of you. Mm-hmm. It's getting. Oh, it is afternoon. It's Look getting at that. to be afternoon. Yeah. Oh, well, thank you, Misha. Yes. Thank
1: you. Thank you.